Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Alice. Hey, now. Greg, what are you doing here? Hey, what do you mean? What are you, Where do you come from, Greg? I came from the world of childish, and I just want to make sure that your listeners know that you're just as wonderful on the, on the other podcast you do. What if they don't have kids? Don't need them. You don't need them. A lot of our listeners actually tell us they don't have kids. We talk about sex. We talk about all sorts of dirty stuff, but also parenting stuff. Yeah, so. Check out Childish, new episodes every Wednesday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey everyone, hi, hello, welcome to another episode. I'm sitting here in the pod cabin with my guest who I've not officially introduced yet. I'm going to tell you who it is. It's Gareth Reynolds. Hello, welcome. I have a full introduction for you, but... I was going to say. Usually, yeah, that was that was sorely <laughs> lacking. <laughs> usually, at the beginning of the show, I chat with my producer, Tony Thaxton, right. about... Um, where, when is he going to come out? I don't see him. Oh, no. <laughs> he's, so. he's not here oh, for this okay. recording. I'm going to oh. send it to him. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but usually the top is where I give him an update on the termite situation right. in this pod cabin. And so, lately I've been like, even I don't care about it anymore. I can't imagine anyone cares about it. Why, why am I doing this thing that I don't think anyone cares about? Right. But then some people let me know that they like it. It feels homey. So... Could you? Absolutely. Could I bounce the termite situation? Thank you. It would be an honor. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. Sitting here in the pod cabin with Gareth Reynolds. I have not introduced my guest yet, but anyway, how are you doing? Great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. It's it's cold. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's, tis the season. It really is. That's what Tony always says. He's known for that. Yeah. I mean, I know that you're joking, but he did used to host a podcast called Felice Navi Pod. Because he's a Christmas lover, so tis the season is oh, like. Oh boy! You honed right in on what Ooh, should have been. I like what I've heard so far. Catchphrase. Yeah, right, right. You're probably wondering what's going on with the termites. Well, yeah, what is happening with the termites? I was going to ask. I mean, people seem invested. They're, yeah, yeah. It's, to put it mildly, right. Still, no sign of termites. Interesting. I'm telling you, Tony Gareth. Um, you know, as you guys all know, someone came out. They because I saw evidence of termites. I saw those little wood shaving right. wood poops, uh, and uh, I I had someone come out and they gave me a quote and they said I would they'd have to tent the place and ideally they tent the entire like they tent the house too and we have to vacate the premises for three days and it'd be thousands of dollars. The story is getting more fabulous every time I tell it. Yeah, Kate, let it grow. <laughs> yeah. Like tens of thousands of dollars, and I'd have to I'd have to move out for three years. And I said I can't do that. Banishment. Yeah, they said you'd have to I'd have to leave the country. Wow. And uh, they would need a hundred thousand dollars. But this is nuts. I said that seems a little steep. Yes. I feel like I can handle it myself. Right. Handle it yourself. What kind of idiot would handle it herself? Said my husband. <laughs> and I said this one. So, and then I sprayed insecticide and. Mind you, the insecticide didn't even... It's not even for termites. It's for other bugs. Bigger bugs? 
I don't know. Actually, it's a good question. Yeah. It's could like play a, to your a, advantage. A list of bugs right. that like didn't your... include termites. Okay, okay. Like ants, roaches, maybe so, spiders. So bigger. So bigger. So that's that's playing. That's I think that's a yeah. arrow in your quiver. I think so. Yeah. So anyway, I spray that in the, the hole in the wall. Right. And it's been smooth sailing ever since. Wow. I didn't have to leave the country. I didn't have to give them $100,000. Your husband, now listening, hearing you out on your crazy wackadoodle ideas. Right, right. Um, I don't think he listens, and I don't think he cares. Interesting. He, I love him. I don't, he's, not, he's not as um, unsupportive and checked out as I just made it sound. I'm just saying specifically. <laughs> right. Look, if they eat it, they eat it. <laughs> regarding the termites, <laughs> yeah. he was like, don't. Don't do anything because you might mess up what the professional is going to do, which is like really not a vote of confidence. You right. Know? And I don't even know that that makes sense. Well, anyway, you, you had nothing to lose. I mean, with your. I was a woman with, with going nothing to lose. Yes. That's how I you felt. You can come back here and die hard your termite situation That's for right. a minute. So, again, as I always say, and you know, because yep. you're always there when I'm I here say every it. Every time. For all I know. This studio is going to come crumbling down around me while I'm recording. But until then, I think I solved the problem. Anyway, time to introduce our guest, Gareth Reynolds, co-host of the uber-popular podcast, The Dollop. You host that with Dave Anthony. We'll get into all of that. And also, your debut album recently came out. It's called Riddled with Disease. It was number one on Billboard. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. You've written for Arrested Development, Flaked, Hoops, You're the Worst, I'm sorry. You're currently writing for I'm sorry. Yes. Idiot sitter on Comedy Central. Hail Mary. You've appeared on IFC's Marin. And um, what did I miss? Did that's I miss anything? Pretty good. No, that's like pretty good. It. And you got a picture of your driver's license on your website. Yeah. Tell me why. Well, because when I uh, well, first of all, hello, hello. Allison. It's nice to finally it's, talk. I'm listening yeah. to you and Tony go back and forth, and I'm sitting here like a wallflower. It's uh, awkward. Which on this wall is tough because I'm not sure if it's going to collapse. Right. It's like, awkward, right? The way I do that. It's I've, not. All, I mean, I like it. I just wanted to jump in. Obviously, okay. I mean, I'm a go getter. <laughs> um, but uh, the reason why I have a driver's license because when I first moved out here, I don't know how most people handle it, but I just was like, well, I'm just not going to actively get a driver's license, you know? And so eventually I got pulled over and uh, they said, you have to go get a California driver's license. So I, my first, this, so this would be my second driver's license and my first driver's license, I made a funny face. Mm. And so I was like, well, I don't want to have a sophomore slump. What am I going to do for the second one? And my brother was in town and at the time I was doing a sketch show with a buddy of mine. And I had a suitcase full of dumb sketch stuff in my car. And among them was this big, kind of like poofy, curly grandma wig um, that we wore for who knows what. And uh, my brother goes, wear this. And I was like, well, I can't wear that. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> and I put it on and we both were, were pissing ourselves laughing. And, uh, and so I went for it. I went to the DMV without an appointment and I waited for ages and I felt everybody looking at me uh-huh. and every time I hit a different station you know there's probably three different stations to, to first get it you know I hit the station and this person would go like well why are you wearing a wig and I go I'm not wearing a wig and they go no it looks like your grandma's wig and I would just say it's not a wig and I kept saying that and that got me through every window <laughs> uh, then I had to go I think I took the picture before the test I think is how it works. And so I took the picture and I could not believe, I was like, I can't believe that I get 
that this may right. happen. And then I went and took the test, obviously failed. Uh, but you can take it again, so I passed. And then I left being like, I mean, this wig Wait, really did you say is, obviously failed? Obviously failed, I feel like yeah. that's not obvious. No, I mean, it's Maybe most... Maybe if I knew you're driving, it would be. No, I mean, it's fair in that in its own right. But I think I was very... Uh, I was very heightened with my nerves mm. uh, because this was high stakes. This was right. not just a regular driver's license. No, I was, this is a heist. This is a heist. Exa- thank you for understanding. And... Um, and so a caper, a caper, I, completely, even <laughs> with disguise and all. Yeah. And uh, and then so I left, and I was like, my God, if I get this license, this will be next level. And then I didn't get it, and then I was like, well, I got to go back to the DMV. So I put the wig back on, and then put a hat over it, sort of like casual mm-hmm. beach me, uh, <laughs> in this uh, quantum universe. And um, and then they were like, no, we've already sent it to you. And then I finally got that license, and it really is one of my prouder achievements. Yeah. Can I full disclosure? I didn't even realize it was a wig. Yeah. Have you gotten that before? I thought maybe you just have crazy well, for, curly hair like that now. Like no, that's your long hair. It, no, for people who know me, they lose their minds. Like when I first had it, it was like people would be like, What? How did this happen? <laughs> um but yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's that's probably from the DMV's perspective, what right. you're saying. Where you're like, oh yeah, I don't know you. Right. Maybe you might have you just, might just have church lady hair. Which I, I did not. Know. I was just yeah. like, oh, wow. Yeah, Look what I did his not hair have is. church lady. It was yeah. nuts. Yeah. Um, Gareth Reynolds. Allison. Talked to I was just listening to the most recent episode of The Dollop. Okay. Your mom was on it. Yes. Very yeah. funny. Yes. Good sense of humor, which yes. you don't necessarily expect. I, I don't know how this is going to come off. You don't necessarily expect it of someone who has a proper British accent. Well, you do, but you don't. She would be the first to tell you that she had elocution lessons. Really? So her accent is it is scummier than the one she has now. Now she's got a proper one. But back in the day, you know, used to talk <laughs> like that. So, so yeah, she does have still have the sense of humor, but the accent is a little more polished. Right, know? she's more posh. I think that's yes. Where were you born? I was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, raised by the English people. Okay. Yeah. Is your dad English as well? Yeah, both of them. And are they from England? Yep. And then why did they go to Milwaukee? Uh, they initially went to Cleveland because my dad got a job offer uh, to work for a toy company. And then that just sort of set him on the path of toys mm-hmm. and uh, eventually led him to Milwaukee. And you were... Wait, so you've been an American citizen, though, forever. Why did I think that at some point you got your dual citizen? Do you have a, do do have a joke about ci- that? Yeah, I have a joke about okay. that. Yeah, and I, uh, I am a dual citizen. I have a UK and American, the two countries right now that are hot. Right. Yeah, bye. <laughs> bye, bye, bye. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I became a UK citizen as well probably about three years ago or something mm-hmm. like that. And your mom is there now. My mother lives there now. My father lives in Wisconsin. What was it like growing up? That's my way of letting you know it you're... did not work out. Oh, they don't, aren't just doing a long distance They're thing. not doing the LDR in their 70s, no. When did they divorce? <laughs> they divorced when I was uh, about 13 or 14. Do you have siblings? I, I do. I have a brother, and then my father from his uh, second marriage, I have three uh, half-siblings that are terrific people. They're younger. Younger, yeah. You're the first. The first round. Yes. Yes. I guess that would make sense. Well, no. You you know, it doesn't matter whether it makes sense. It just is. It is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to think, could it have been that they were before you? 
and based on what you said. And it could have, could it but have it's been? not. I think so. Okay. Not if they're younger, but before right. I asked that. Oh, right, right. I'm glad I, I'm really glad I decided to put this one under a microscope. Peel, yeah, peel the curtain back and let people into your mind. Yeah. <laughs> Full disclosure. Yeah. And I shared this on another podcast. I, um, are you on any antidepressants or have you ever been or anything? No, I have not been. Okay. But I'm, it's uh, prominent in my family, but I'm, I have not. Okay. I was someone who had never been. Uh, and then I, I went on Lexapro a few years ago, and I'm currently in the process of switching from Lexapro to Zoloft. Okay. And I swear it is making it so that if I have a thought, if it pops into my head, I have to say it. Right. Not like I can't con- – I have no impulse control, but like – I'm very distracted by like every tiny little thing, which is why I had to spend, uh, waste everyone's time chasing that stupidity. So I'm sorry. No, I'm not no, fully no. myself. No, that, that's tough though. That transition. I mean, is that tough? Yeah. I yeah, don't love it. it. How, how, how long is the, trans, the transition? Um, for period? a week, it's for seven days. I take half of the Lexapro and, and half, half of the Zoloft. Zoloft. And so I'm near the end of those seven days. So in a couple of days, I'll just take the full Zoloft. Okay. And then I guess in like a month, we see if if that if it's better or right, not. Right, right. Um, yeah. So yeah, the first day, first day, I felt super agitated and like kind of speedy. Right. Um, and then there's been some stomach issues. It's just a whole. It's enough to make me go. But the Lexapro really wasn't that bad. Am I right. like trying for for perfection mood wise? Well, anyway, are you? No, no, maybe okay. I don't. Well, it's know. good to know that you have one that you're. Yeah, have, you know, was yeah. I can go back. You can to. play the field a little. That's you know what I mean. <laughs> that's right. Single, ready to mingle a little. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't want to like hit and quit Zoloft. You know, I want to. No, no, maybe no. I do. No, you want, I mean, look, the, like I grew up watching a very normal marriage, so mm. I can tell you exactly what's normal. Play the field, have your home piece, you'll be fine. Right. Yeah. Um, was that tough when your parents divorced? Yeah, it was very tough. It was, uh, it came at, I, it came, you know, speaking of depression, I was an extremely depressed teenager, um, kind of already. And then when my parents' marriage, I mean, my parents' marriage was never on the right track necessarily, mm-hmm. so it was sort of um, a little torturous growing up around. But when they were finally divorcing, it just happened at a time when it was sort of like, you know, I felt like, I mean, yeah, as I think anyone who struggles with depression knows, you feel there are just times where you're like, I can't carry anymore, and then you get another sack put on your back, and that's definitely what it felt like. Right. So, yeah, it was a very tough time, and it was also like, it was particularly bad and they were particularly volatile and it was long and, um, and, and, you know, when I was a kid, it was in Wisconsin, it was not, you know, people got divorced obviously, but it wasn't, it was, it was kind of weird and Mm -hmm. different and scarlet lettery in a way. And, um, so you felt different from your friends. Yeah. And I think in just in general, it was an alienating thing. You know, you can tell when people around you are treating you with kid gloves and you know what I mean? You Mm -hmm. just have the sense of that, air about the situation and that was just pretty prominent right yeah um what what when you say volatile what did they argue a lot yeah just a lot of arguing there's no nothing physical or anything but yeah just tons of arguing i mean i just grew up around tension and um arguing and you know yard arguments which we'd call yard arguments where they would (laughs) just go to the yard to argue for some reason we'd be like we can see you yeah um but yeah no i just think general you know negativity in that way and 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 even when my parents split like it was 
um, you know, I didn't talk to my father for a while and I watched my mother really struggle. So mm-hmm. it was like, it went on for a while and the damage was, you know, pretty strong at the Did time. Did she move to England right away? No, actually she, they were in Wisconsin just in different places. And, uh, and then it was probably about when I was around 24, my brother moved to LA um, from Wisconsin. And then I think she just kind of was like, didn't know why else she was there. She went back to England, took care of her mother a little bit. And um, yeah. You say that you were a depressed teen. Were you a depressed child as well? No, I think I was a pretty happy child. I mean, I, I definitely had like probably, I mean, probably some mood issues. I mean, and I probably like most people look back and are like, well, I definitely had ADD, <laughs> I mean, you know, but, uh, but no, I, I think I was pretty much a happy kid growing up. And then, um, yeah, I think it just eventually, you know, my home life felt so alien mm-hmm. that it just kind of rubbed off on me. And then I think when you're, as a teenager, when you're put on the path of like, you know, you kind of like, screw it, I don't care anymore, um, it's pretty easy to scorch earth. And uh, How did you do that? I mean, I did that by experimenting with drinking and, uh, you know, different variants of drugs and mm-hmm. stuff like that, you know, just became much more open to experimenting with mood-altering substances. Mm-hmm. And yeah. this is when you were how old? Um, well, one of the things about England is that they all start stuff so early there that, like, it was easily – like, I, the first time I got drunk, I was, like, 12. Mm. And the first time I had a cigarette, I was probably, like, 11. And the first time I smoked a joint, I was probably, like, 13. And then I'd go to Wisconsin and people would be like, what? That's not possible to do that now. And I'd be like, no, I'm doing it over there. <laughs> and uh, and then, I mean, I think, you know, probably around 14, 15 really started, like, drinking, smoking cigarettes and mm-hmm. stuff like that, you know. It's, it's interesting um, to talk to someone who had that – experience because i was a real late bloomer with everything and i was right. like a very fearful kid and I, I you know i was like a rule follower right so real real nerd right uh, <laughs> don't worry i made up for it when i was like 27 yeah but. that's the beauty of a late bloomer it's, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's quite a spring although i have sometimes felt like it's normal to experience or, or expected to experiment in high school and maybe even college, but like someone who's experimenting in their late twenties is the, like maybe that's more. Is that when you started? Yeah, a wow, little more. Yeah. Well, no, I don't mean to say that I was like straight edge until then, right? But um, I sort of there was a little more acting out in my mid to late twenties, right? I'd say. Okay. Um, but anyway, back to you. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> I know that was tough. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> The fact that you got on your phone the second I started talking about myself was weird, but I get well, it. I'm just I want when you have a good tweet. You're posting. When you have a good <laughs> <Yeah>. tweet. <laughs> um no, but it's interesting for me to hear sort of the the attitude behind the behavior. You were saying when you're on that path where you just don't like fuck it all or you don't care. Yeah. Um can you talk more about about that? Well, I mean, I think you just I mean, it's twofold really because there's like at, like somebody introduces you to something, you know, whether it's a cigarette or like, I mean, we used to like snort a lot of Ritalin when I was in high school and really? shit. Yeah. So someone was already diagnosed ADHD? Oh, yeah. Was, yeah, it was out you there. Or you? No, it was not me. Okay. No, no. But like multiple friends of mine. And um, But um, yeah, I mean, it's partially that you, I mean, you know, like anything else, it is kind of a numbing. It mm-hmm. is a way to sort of dull your emotions that you don't want to feel. Um, and you know, this is before phones and stuff like that. So <laughs> right. you actually had to try to 
fathom consequence and, you know, um, for me, my new reality and Mm -hmm. just, you know, when you're, one of your parents is not there anymore. Uh, you and that know. was your dad. Yeah. And it, um, and my father moved on. I mean, part of the reason why my parents split up was because my father had kind of already moved on from, uh, the, you know, so just That's a lot really of, hard. yeah. So just a lot of stuff that was just, um, compa- it was all very compounded. And, um, you know, I think you just, I would, I would, you know, like anyone else, the first time I got drunk, I was like, I'm never going to do this again. But you do realize that it like temporarily kind of dulls you. And so it was it was all about a dulling. But I also think it was connective with friends and stuff like that, you know, um, going like being in the circle of people who would party. And I my friends were a couple years older than, than I was normally. And so being in those circles, it was just kind of fun. It was just like an escape. Mm-hmm. You know, my weekends went from probably being like squirt gun fights and stuff with buddies or snowball fights to, you know, I'd go to my friend's basement and we would just drink wine and smoke cigarettes down there, smoke so pot. Very refined. Yes, very <laughs> refined. Oh, yeah. Believe me, we were <laughs> definitely down there in a room of sommeliers. Like, Look at that. You see that? that was quite a year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it all... It certainly made my mother like very worried at the time, and even now I look back and I understand why, but it was kind of just how I chose to handle it and deal with it, and you know it definitely affected my grades and stuff like that. but as far as being a person, I feel like I went through you know one of the hardest things I'll ever go through, whether or not it's it is hard or isn't it felt so mm-hmm. difficult at the time. Um, that I think it did condition me for, you know, rolling with the punches and other phases of life and stuff. Um, your dad moving on so quickly, or was there overlap? There was overlap. So, and were you aware of it? Like, were you aware that your dad had I I, I I wasn't until like the day of, uh, when my mother, I think my, I, I think my brother told my mother, my mother told me that, you know, he was like seeing someone else. Wait, and, your brother told your mother? Yeah. How did he know? He worked at the same place my dad worked at, and he kind of had picked up on mm-hmm. it and uh, and basically busted him. Wow. Um, and yeah, so it was like it all kind of culminated in very quickly and yeah. just very dramatically. Wait, how much older is your brother? My brother's 12 years older than I am. Oh, wow. Yeah. So yeah, so he like, he was an adult, mm-hmm. you know, for sure. And I was a kid. Um. So finding that out about your dad, especially when you're that young, and I imagine you have your parents idealized, mm-hmm. what was that like? And was it like a betrayal? Yeah. That's a yeah. real leading question. Sorry about that. No, it's no, no counselor. Uh, <laughs> it, uh, by all means. Uh, yeah, no, it definitely did. I mean, you know, you really, I mean, even when I watch my brother now with his kids, I mean, the, and I'm sure how you feel having your kid, like the the way that you not only look at a parent and love a parent, but depend on a parent. Mm-hmm. You need them. Yes, completely. They keep you alive. And, and they form everything, and it's all very routine-based. And, you know, you're not forced to break routines at that age normally. You know, at least you're kind of cocooned routines where mm-hmm. it's your parents or, or your family or things like that. And to sort of be asked to, you know, not that my father, not that my father said, I don't want to talk to you, but I decided I was so pissed that I was like, I don't want to talk to you. At 13, you decided I, that? Yeah, 13, 14. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that really was quite a valve to shut off because, I mean, that was 50% of 
you right. know, the love that I was getting was from my father. And so, yeah, it was very difficult, you know. Um, How long did you not talk to him? For probably about four years. Wow. Yeah, maybe maybe under, but for around that that period of time. And then how did you reconnect? So I was in therapy, and um, my therapist was really awesome and was kind of transformative in the way that he kind of, you know, dealt with me the right way in the sense that he didn't bust my balls. He kind of was a friend versus uh, like a an officer in my mm-hmm. life. And um, when I wanted to go to college... I was in this area where I grade-wise was in trouble to get into Emerson, which is really saying something. That's like being too drunk to go at the dive bar, you know? And uh, and then also the financial side. My mother did not make enough money um, so I could get financial help that way. But at the time, my father was making enough money, and so I couldn't get financial aid mm. uh, on the level that I needed to. So my therapist suggested... Um, starting to talk and see each other. I mean, it does sound like a bribe now, but but essentially he was like, let's start and then he can contribute towards college. Um, and that's really where it started and, and totally started for me as a thing where I was like, man, you know, fuck this guy. I'm just yeah. going to do this. But, but maybe that's what you needed. Yeah, because I honestly, I look back and I have such a great relationship with my father now that I look back and I go, you know, if I hadn't done that, I mean, it, it's very easy to just shut that off forever. Mm-hmm. And that kind of reopened it. And then over the years, we, you know, definitely fell into a place where we had a normal, good relationship, which is what we have now. Have you guys talked about yeah. everything? Yeah, I mean, I think for both of my parents, they see it a little differently. Um, and I kind of just choose to not get back into that minutia. Right. You know, I, I recognize that they were both flawed. They were both, you know, younger than I am now. Um, you know, so I definitely am like, I don't, I don't even need to hear a rehashing of it. The one or the other will fall into that at times. And I'm able to go, okay, well, you know, it is what it is. Who cares? Do you have anger about it? I don't think anymore. I mean, I, I think, you know, there's definitely stuff that sticks with you that you just don't recognize. And so I definitely think I still have some of that sap in me of, you know, it, it, there are things and instincts I have. And certainly at times the way I approach relationships and stuff, I'm like, oh, that's still there. But as far as like, uh, anything, I mean, I just have nothing but love for both my parents. Like I said, I do, you know, this is what I've imparted on my younger uh, sisters and brother before is that, you know, you go through tough things at tough times and you get through them and you really do later on, you're able to access strength that, that maybe some people can't. And mm-hmm. there is, so there's an advantage to right. pain and that sort of stuff at times, you know. Sometimes it feels like that's the only advantage. Totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, that's, and it's a very, it's in the moment, that's not a good, that's not a selling point. You know <laughs> right, what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's like, that's like, yeah, great. Okay, right. this car's got great interiors. I can't get it for 20 years. Awesome. You know? <laughs> right. So you are sort of like, yeah, I mean, I think essentially that, you know, you go through these tough times and you get conditioned for future, especially moving to Los Angeles. I mean, people have tough totally tough existences in every place all over and again but as far as like general denial on a daily basis of your hopes and dreams that's so visceral and in your face like showbiz you mean yeah the biz (laughs) yeah uh i think it got me very ready to just be told no a ton just Mm -hmm. by going through i don't know i mean do you think you handle rejection well 
I think at this point I do because it's happened so much. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think <laughs> – I mean, I, I didn't at first. I mean, at first I was like, but I'm perfect for your job. Give it to me. <laughs> right. You know? But then I think you get you get hit so many times that eventually you are just like, okay, I know I'm going to get hit. I don't know how hard. And, mm-hmm. But every now and then I'll land one. But uh, no, at first, I mean, rejection was very difficult. I, I actually used to deal with rejection in crazy way. I mean, I used to like hold on to it and I would resent like I remember there's the the expression every time uh, every time someone every time a good friend of mine gets good news, a piece of me dies or something <laughs> like that. And I remember I was like, yeah, I kind of understand that, you know, and I spent years being like that. And then it just took me a while to go, well, not only does that not matter, but you also should just not walk around <laughs> with that sentiment in your head right? and, uh, and support people. Um, but yeah, I definitely think it conditioned me to, to, you know, deal with life and roll with punches. And stuff. Mm-hmm. You said something earlier about, um, noticing patterns in relationships where you're like, Oh, I guess that's still there. Yeah. Can you talk like, what's an example? I think that I am, so aware of how things could end that it makes it tough to start mm. sometimes that's know? poetic well it's tattooed on my back and my tummy uh, <laughs> wow both Thank yeah it, well there wasn't enough room on the back so <laughs> i said finish here the guy's like what i was like i don't know finish here yeah <laughs> on the stomach no less uh <laughs> but um yeah i mean i yeah i mean it's it's true you know so like you'll meet someone see potential and then like go all the way to the end in your head? I think I can, f- I, I, you know, not to lean into the cliche of Lenny and the bunnies, but I think if there's something that I am like real into, I can be like, well, this is perfect. Mm. Let's domesticate immediately. And I think on the other side, if there's something that maybe it's better to, you know, work on and work through. It's just not as I, I, if I see problems in a relationship early, I don't go, well, we need to work on this together and I will help her learn to, you know, I go, well, this will end badly. And then you leave at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now Are this you, is normal, right? Allison? That's what everyone does. <laughs> that's the key to a happy relationship. Thank you. Um, are you in love with like the idea of love? No. I okay. certainly would say that. I I am someone who feels very okay, independent, and, and you know, I'm gone enough to sort of feel like I don't necessarily need roots. I mean, when I'm here, I am like, I do think about that. Mm-hmm. But I also, when I'm gone, I'm very happy to be like untethered. You right. Know? Yeah. The reason I asked that is because you said that when you meet someone, you'll like, feel like you should domesticate immediately sometimes sometimes yeah, and yeah. then when, as soon as there's problems you're like well this isn't going to work out and right so it made me because that to me potentially could be someone who is all about those like good feelings you feel at the beginning but not really wanting the well, hard de- for sure the gritty yeah. yeah but i i definitely have gone you know i've been in longer relationships at times and um What's your longest? I think like five and a half years oh, or something. That's a, that's a decent chunk of time. Yeah, so decent. And then outside of that, nothing crazy. Like two ish, mm-hmm. a couple times. But again, I am just very like, I'm just like, okay, is this worth my time? I mean, right. in a way, I think I prevent time wastage, but I think I also probably, on the other end, don't yeah. don't help things become 
better by I think when you don't have a model of a relationship that worked out, it's probably a real leap of faith to think that you could have one. That yeah, does work out. for sure. I definitely, I'm well, and also when I ask someone to go yell in the yard with me, they're like, what are you talking? I'm like, that's where <laughs> like, the shouting matches happen by the tree in the yard is where we shout at each other. So nobody knows. Oh my God, put your shame bag on and let's go to the shouting tree. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that's totally true. Yeah. What would your ex-girlfriend say? was the problem oh good lord allison that's uh um i by the way that is again have to say the thoughts in my head that uh was i was very aware that i'm like now i'm going one over the line like that's no no personal no that it it really isn't i mean i'm just trying to think like you know i've remained on very good terms with most of my exes um I think I mean the I think the one who I broke up with who I kind of moved out here with I just think it was time was it was a bad it was tough timing there was not um so I guess her gripe if I were to think of what it would be would probably be that um I wasn't fully committed by the end mm-hmm. not in a way that I was like cheating in general it was just like my desire to pursue it further and i don't think maybe communicating that uh, as early as i should have mm-hmm. um i think i again i mean i think my second one who i did have a great time with would probably say um that it just kind of came down to being not in town enough and it kind of were i mean that that has happened with a couple where it's sort of been like I've just been gone too much and it's very hard to for long stretches stay in a happy relationship when you're kind of a your job is to explain the world around you to someone who's not there and you know feel mm-hmm. invested it's very difficult. Right. So I would say something along those lines but yeah I would say mostly positive things maybe not the best ending but mm. yeah. So you wanted to go to Emerson. Yes. Did you already know that you wanted to be to be a performer? Yeah, I knew really early that I wanted that I mean not only that that it was like the only thing that I felt like totally clicked with me um mm-hmm. was like performing like I started doing improv in Milwaukee really young and um yeah and then when I was going to Emerson it was to pretty much for acting. One of the great things about going there was that um there's so much other st- I mean really the classes the class I mean like I was a sophomore there and I was giving a report on tornadoes in my class <laughs> and I was like this can't be happening like <laughs> right. this is crazy um but it's all the stuff you get to do outside of there so I was able to do a lot of like sketches and I started writing there and so I think I kind of thankfully found all these other things to do instead of just be like you know will you put me in your thing <laughs> and then when did you start doing stand up I started doing stand-up probably around, really around like 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a show that my writing partner and I had sold, and it was going to shoot in New York. It was for MTV. What was and it? It was called Philosophy. And um, just one season. We're waiting to hear on the second. It's been uh, eight years. and um, Any minute, I feel like you're going to get that call. We're hoping. We're, Don't give up hope. Obviously, <laughs> that's, it's weird. I mean, yeah. it's upsetting. Every time your phone rings, you're like, is this them? <laughs> right. Oh, no. It's mom again. <laughs> but, uh, but I was there, and our show had a lot of comedians on. It was a panel show. Uh, and so my buddy 
uh, Chris DeStefano was basically like, well, I, I can had get him you. On the show. Oh, yeah. yeah. Lovely gentleman. And he was basically like, you have this show. I can get you on most shows out here. I'd gone on the road a little bit with Steve Byrne, probably worked up about 10 minutes. But really, for those six months, I just started, I went up there and just kind of built enough material to start, you know, featuring and stuff like that eventually. Um, regarding improv versus stand up, did, do, did or does one click more with you? Well, I, th- I mean, improv is the thing that I gravitated towards right away. And it's the thing that, you know, on the dollop, I'm able to, and even in writing and stuff, I'm able to like, I feel like that's where, that's like where it all comes from. Even with my stand up and stuff, it's written, but so much of it I find just by doing it. Mm-hmm. So I think my, Heart beats for improv over anything. And did you do, did you go to UCB or any of the improv places? Out here, I was at the Improv Olympic, Mm -hmm. and that was where I really, you know, started doing a lot more longer form and learning a lot more about improv and, you know, that stuff. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, at one point, I had been doing a show every week or more than a show every week in LA for improv for like 10 years or something. So it was total. I mean, I kind of just had a revelation when I went to the comedy store one night with some buddies of mine who are stand-ups and I was kind of watching what their shows were versus what my shows were. Mm -hmm. And I was sort of like, well, shit, I mean, people just like stand-up more. Um, You mean you were watching the crowd reaction? And the crowd size and, you know, like, you know, hundreds of people at stand-up shows. You had sometimes for improv, you'd cancel shows because you'd have more performers than audience members, (laughs) you know? And so I just kind of was like, it was a moment where I thought, and again, I didn't get up on stage the next day or anything powerful like that, Mm -hmm. but I just had clocked it like, you know, there really is this other avenue that looks very interesting, very difficult, but I really wanted wanted to get into Mm -hmm. And so what was that like for you when you started? Brutal. How so? I mean, just the, you know, I, it's honestly, I think it's traumatic because I don't <laughs> remember it that well. But I mean, like, um, you know, just bombing, a lot of bombing, a lot. You know, you feel embarrassed when you're not good at stand-up mm-hmm. because you are at the shows where these people are. Thankfully, your enthusiasm level kind of outweighs that. But you certainly are like, you know, when you're when you're on a show and people aren't laughing and someone they were other people were getting laughs and people after you were going to get laughs and you're just sort of up there trying to learn the art of it it's tough i mean it's, mm-hmm. i remember i just showed in new york once and there were two people in the audience by the time the show was over and oh, so God. the mc like let him go and i still had to go and he goes oh shit sorry sorry maybe there was like six people but but anyway by the time i got up there there was two people left two people are like we'll hear you and so i'm doing stand up and then Two minutes in, one of the guys gets up and goes to the bathroom. And then so it was literally just me and a guy. And I was just like, well, what? what is this? You know, this is not – This is not. I mean, one guy's standing up, but it's not stand-up. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, so it it is very difficult for a while. And even after that, I mean, you you know, you're on lineups and on shows where you're, you're out of your league and you're out of your element. So it just – it takes a while to become comfortable with what stand-up is, which is that it is – you know, not the code you're going to crack every time. Mm-hmm. You just can do it more and more, but you still have those few and far between ones, even where you go, my God, that hurt. And I was looking at your website. So you're going on tour soon, yeah. Australia. Yeah. 
you the dollop has a big international following right yeah and do you also have a big international following i mean it seems like that but it's all birthed from the dollop for Mm -hmm. sure yeah how did that happen the international aspect of it well dave anthony the guy that i do the dollop with had a following in australia um kind of through his podcast also through will anderson who is a like arguably the funniest uh, Australian comic, the biggest comic there. And they had a good relationship. And then I think because of that, some combination of that, when we started doing the show, and the show is, you know, very crazy. I mean, the first 20 episodes or whatever, I mean, honestly, all the episodes, but they're just crazy. And I think there was just some combination of the American stories being so crazy, Dave and Will... And it just kind of – our numbers early in Australia were pretty solid. And then we went there I think within the first year or maybe just after. And, you know, I think that helped garner a fan base. And then we've been going there – this last year we took off. But uh, but we've been going there every year you know, mm-hmm. for six years or something. And have you done stand-up there before? I have. I've never gone there exclusively to do stand-up. Mm-hmm. So at the end of January when I go to do that, that will be the first time. But um, I've done shows there for sure and it's – different but fun but this will be interesting especially considering that i just recorded my hour and so i'm like you know like let's get some material going (laughs) so i'm trying to get some stuff going before before i go but um but again i mean they really like our show and my you know my part on our show is a lot of improv and stuff Mm -hmm. so riddled with disease the name of your album your debut album what is the name a reference to uh it's actually to an australia australia just has these crazy animals and that um is a reference to when Dave and I went to this place called Rottenness Island to hang out with these animals called quokkas. Oh. Yeah. Are those are they cute? Uh, they're I I I mean I say this on the they're the cutest animals on earth. Mm-hmm. They are But they're riddled with disease. They are adorable and some would say that maybe. <laughs> yes. Uh have you held a koala before? I For have. For the longest yeah. time, koalas were my favorite. They might still be my favorite animal. Well, get well the getting's good cuz uh, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, what was it like hugging one? Uh, magical. Mag- I, you get, I, I would imagine like... Held, I guess, is more than hug, really. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I would imagine it's a little like meeting Snoop Dogg in the sense <laughs> that you've been waiting to do it for a while... And then when you get there, the person you're, or the animal you're meeting is sort of nonplussed, but you're still like, I want to get a picture with this person, right. and they're very cool to get pictures with you. But the whole time, they just seem kind of high and not into it, mm. which I get. Yeah. But, um, I still want to do it. You should. No, the one I met was named Diesel. Diesel. Uh-huh. And he wasn't like a brawler or anything. He was just very standard. They sleep. I They're mean, nocturnal, the, I think. Well, they no, sleep about it. 21 hours a day. Mm-hmm. So their life is... So when they're up, they are just like, why is this... I mean, it's to piss <laughs> or eat or take pictures with idiots. <laughs> but the place we were, they were very clear that they were like, yeah, he gets like... He works an hour a day. <laughs> and then the rest of his day is sleeping and eating. Right. And, yeah. I like that they let you know his schedule. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're, well, I think in a way that they were like, this is not exploitative yes we're not like juicing him with coke going like get out there one more show you know (laughs) like he is genuinely into i mean he's genuinely into sleeping but the trade-off is minimal right right so how did you on the dollop come about how did you meet dave i met dave on another podcast i basically i was on uh, my friend sam tripoli's podcast for 
probably about two or three years, and I would just sit in as like a co-host. And and what's um, the name of that podcast? It was called The Naughty Show. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I, I don't know if people don't know Sam, but Sam is definitely a, uh, like, he is true to himself, and his show is like a little more ribald and dirty and stuff, but we had great laughs, and uh, Vicky Pezza, who was one of the producers on it, brought Dave Anthony on a few times, and Dave and I would always hit it off. And then eventually he had a podcast called Walking the Room um, that he asked me to sit in on, and I sat in for a couple episodes. And the timing is strange, but basically around that time he'd had this other idea, and um, and he was like, well, let's do one of these, and we did the first dollop. And then initially his plan was to maybe rotate people, but we just had a good time, so he was like, all right, let's just you know see how this goes. Mm-hmm. And so, and the premise of the podcast is he finds like a – off the beaten path story from American history. Yeah. Um, and then reads it to you and you have no idea what's coming. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, we're lucky in the sense that he loves history and that I don't know anything about history. <laughs> so we've just kind of lucked out in the way that he pretty much, I mean, 99% of the things he tells me, I do not know. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he just goes in with this very crazy thing prepared and then I just have no clue what's going on and we just, you know, do some make ups and... Do you feel like you've learned a lot since doing Because the show's been going since 2014. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've learned a ton. I mean, I really have. It, I mean, it's inter- made me interested in history, but it's also made me pissed about my high school and the way that they teach history because, you know, really, if you're talking about what you want someone to grasp from American history, there. I mean, there's a lot of really good great, funny, crazy stories out there that are about people that they teach. They just don't teach these elements. Mm-hmm. Like, if they had taught me that George Washington's mouth was actually, like, constructed of horse and human teeth and his life was kind of a waking nightmare where all he could do was eat porridge and that's why his mouth's closed in every picture, or that he died from getting blood let out of him when he had pneumonia, like, I would be like... I will remember this stuff. It's crazy. That I didn't know the thing about the horse teeth. I always heard the wooden teeth, but then recently there was one day where I'm like, that can't be true. Yeah. I looked it up. Uh, but the that he died from bloodletting, I yeah. only recently learned that. Yeah, that was my... I mean, t- because you think when you like, think did they of over leech him or what was the bloodletting es- method? Essentially, the theory with bloodletting was that, you know, you reduce the level of blood, you're going to reduce the level of disease. Dick. And essentially, he I think basically he went out and he got pneumonia like riding his horse and he didn't want to be rude or late for dinner or something. So he ate in his wet clothes. And this is basically what killed him. And so he eats in these wet clothes and then... um as he's, you know, got pneumonia, different friends or doctors come over and it's almost like a noises off murder. They just keep coming over and one of them will be like, well, we should take a pint of blood out of him. And then nobody says no. And then so they three different guys just keep getting blood out of him until eventually there's no blood left in him. But like, what was the. I don't know why I'm asking, even though I find this like, it, it makes me a little queasy. What was the, how did they do it? Did they have needles and stuff? I, I actually don't know what, yeah, I don't know. My, what, what I pictured in my head yeah. is probably not right. It probably was you, needles or something like do that. Do you picture like just someone cutting him? I picture like an incision and someone right. just being like, there's a pint. <laughs> so the gentleman. <laughs> yeah. Either way. Well, I know. Either way, yeah. it's awful. No, no, but certainly mine is more horrific. 
No, they're both pretty bad. Yeah. Because I can't imagine, like, what sort of anesthesia was happening then? Oh, that. Not, like, just alcohol or Then, yeah, mainly alcohol, I think. Yeah. 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 The ma- Eventually, they started using cocaine, but that was probably, like, you know, 100 years away or just under, maybe. And that was used as anesthesia? Yeah, they would use cocaine as an anesthesia. Did that work? I think it did, yeah. I think mm-hmm. for a while it did. I mean, you know, there was certain, the, the p- people, you know, there was, you'd have to hold and pin people down to amputate her for certain right uh, but that's where bite the bullet comes from yeah I think, right? right yeah and then so um but then i think that did i think that numbed the area a lot and, mm-hmm. yeah it was very helpful and you guys have just had like a crazy success with this podcast yes yeah i've been pretty lucky yeah what do you attribute that to i know that you it's a hard question to answer but uh, I think that the stories are very interesting and crazy, and then I think that we try to make it really comedic. I mean, it, it, it like he Dave does a very good job of sort of setting me up for um, these things. I mean, you know, they're like I think just through improv and stuff, my mind gravitates. Like if you, he mentions a character, I, feel, I you know I my gut is to just talk like that person, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's a terrible accent or whatever, it's wrong. But, it, but, um, so I think there's just a lot of good teeing up that he does. And, and I just think that the, the stories are, our history is so crazy and so widely ignored, even with what's going on now, like the, you know, all the stuff that's going on now, there are many, many similar situations to the past. So some episodes are just totally insane, you know, um, about a guy named Oofty Goofty who they made look like I know a- about this guy because my husband, but I forget what I know, but I just know that I've heard about him before so San- he, in San Francisco, right? Yeah, and he basically, like, they made him the wild man of Borneo in a dime show, tarred and furred him, mm. and then, you know, I mean, his Did life... Did he die some sad way? I, I believe that he died, I might be wrong, but I think the back nine of his life was spent... Like walking the streets, offering that people could try to beat him for money. Mm. So I think like you could kick him for like a nickel, you could punch him for like a dime, and then you could like hit him with a bat for a quarter. Jeez. And I think he died from an injury from that, or some some version. And of that. that's what it is. That what it? So they sold him as a wild man of Borneo. That was years later. So then years later, the end of his life was just like spent trying to you know get beaten for cash. But what when he was like an attraction? What yeah. was it? He he was dressed up like he was just supposed to be like a crazy like wild man who was hairy and unkempt and mm-hmm. um you know and it, what the reason why they called him Oofty Goofty was because that's what the guys the guys go say Oofty Goofty Oofty Goofty when people walk in so he'd just be in this cage and be uh. like Oofty Goofty Oofty Goofty and then I think he got into a fight with some Irish guys who were like poking him with a stick and then they were like all right Oofty. You're not that big, kid, you know, <laughs> some version of that. But but so I think the stories, and then there's also really, you know, like we did one on Harriet Tubman, and I'm like, if I'd heard this story in high school, I would have like felt way more invested in uh, Harriet Tubman, you mm-hmm. know, and made sure she was on the $20 bill. Um, but there's just a lot of stuff, and yeah, I don't know. Didn't they do actual bull and bear fights? Has that ever come up? I don't know if that's come up. There's so, we've done so many that there's stuff that I just don't remember, but that might have come up. I could be wrong. I um, mean, I know that they I mean, they did crazy shit with bears as far as fighting people and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Because I know that like, 
I think the bull and bear market, because I never, I never know like, uh-huh. which is which, has uh-huh. to do with how each of them fight. Like a bull, bull rears up and a bear goes down. Right. Listen, if this is wrong, blame my husband Daniel because well, he knew about Oofty Goofty, so he knew, put, yeah, put, he knows about. He had an interest in San Fran. Is it turn of the century San Francisco? Or yeah, probably late, was something like that. Yeah, I don't. Some specific period of San Francisco history, he knows a ton. Right. Um, yeah. So, um, do you get along well with Dave? You must. Yeah, we get along very well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we basically knew each other through the show. And so, it wasn't until we started going on tour together that then you really... But yeah, we get along very, very well. I think of I've had him on the show before, many uh-huh. years ago. I think of him as potentially an argumentative guy. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, I would say a passionate guy. Uh, <laughs> right. I don't mean not to be like a politician, but, you know, he he is very well informed, and the things that he feels that he's better informed on than some people, it drives him a little crazy because, you know, there's so much misinformation. So I think he can get frustrated by the world around him. But as like a one-on-one dude or like how he is to most people, I mean, he's a very sweet, mm-hmm. nice guy. Um, who were you on Marin? I basically played myself. I Dave, in the last season, Dave's character kind of just takes over Mark's career and world and becomes much more popular than Mark. And then so I'm kind of getting included in a couple of these scenes that call back and hearken to earlier episodes. I'm Dave's sidekick as opposed to Dave being Mark's sidekick. Mm. So there's just a couple moments where um, I'm just there. I'm very, nothing huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No earth shattering part. And you've done a lot of writing for TV. Yeah. Do you like it? I do. Yeah. It's, um, it's different. I mean, it, it's certainly, is fascinating and then i think it's certainly like anything else kind of slows down for you as far as how you see it and how much easier it becomes to do um but yeah i do i mean you know like i you know talking about the way my parents were i mean i spent most of my childhood just sitting in front of a television watching like old tv shows old sitcoms and um i just don't really forget that when I work on shows. I mean, the, like when I worked on Arrested Development, I mean, I was like, this is insane. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if you told me I'd work on that show, I would have just never fathomed it. Um, but yeah, so I definitely, I do still like it. I mean, like any other job, there are times where you're frustrated and pissed and annoyed and tired. But, um, but you know, I, I mean, there's something very cool about lending your voice to to shows and having a and working with other people on the voice of the show and stuff it's mm-hmm. very galvanizing and fun i think this episode is going to air at the very very end of 2019 do you have resolutions for 2020 i really don't i know and i have i in past resolutions i stopped smoking and i gave up caffeine and those were pretty big wow yeah why did you give up caffeine and how did that go? Caffeine, I well, I stopped drinking coffee probably about seven years ago because because I drank so much of it. I just would like my morning routine was so tied to coffee mm-hmm. and like a pot of coffee, and then I would be like, "All right, I'm up now." While my stomach lining eats itself, <laughs> and I come aware to this fat, like this hunger that I'm feeling. Um, 
And so, and then I was, I was on the road with Steve Byrne and he never drank caffeine and the dude would nap and sleep amazingly well. And so I was like, okay, I'm done with coffee. Well, then I became like crazy tea drinker and I mean, kind of the same thing, mm-hmm. maybe a little different because your body, I think reacts a little differently to tea. But, um, but then about, I'd say around a year ago, I just stopped when I had a second and the headache I got when I was stopped, I was like, this is not good that my body goes through this. Yeah. And then so I just cut it out and I'm at the point now like where I can, I work and I mean, I yawn a thousand times a day, but I don't really feel like I miss it anymore. But it's, I mean, I know your face. I no, agree. my face was because you said yawn and then I'm so like, uh, just, what's, you're yawning. I, it made me yawn just hearing Have the word. Yeah. yeah. If it's a specific word. You know what? Not, I'm not going to derail to figure Do out it. this word. Do it. Go, Allison. Take your what time. What is the word? It's like, I'm so sus- susceptible, but that's not the word. Oh, my God. Yeah. Old Allison would know the word. This new transitioning pill, Allison. I don't, I don't know the word. This is the bridge week. This is bridge week. That's right. Yeah. So how do you, how's your waking up now though? Because I'm a coffee person. It's pretty okay. You get used to it. I try to exercise before I go to work. So I do feel like anything else, if you can just get your ass out of bed, you'll start coming into yourself. But um, but yeah, I mean, I just kind of like, yeah. I mean, I, the, I just was in uh, Europe for like, Almost three weeks. Suggestible person. That's the word I was going for. There we are. Okay. Hello. We're back. You were in Europe for three weeks. And the jet lag I had coming back was unreal. It normally and is. such good coffee there. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Believe me, I'm not, this is not, I'm not valuing the experience, <laughs> but I am like, you know, I'm drinking their weird alcohols for sure. But, um, but I was, and the jet lag was so bad and that I went right back to work and so I'd be waking up at literally like 3.30 and then like going into work around 9. And so I'd just be out of my mind. But I slowly was like, I like having a couple – I like the 5 a.m. wake up, 5.30 a.m. wake up to me has become more and more appealing. So I am sort of rocking one of those right now. Really? Where, yeah. Really- where I'm, I mean just having like that amount of time yeah. in the morning um, I just have not had in a long time. So I don't know. I mean – it, you're, I'm tired a lot. I can keep it going for a little while. This like, it's so nice to have this. Pe- I mean, having little kids yeah. throws it all off. But um, if they are waking up a little later, like it's so nice to have this peaceful me time in the morning. Yeah, and I can only, but I can sustain it for a little while, and then pretty soon it's like. But I also would love just another hour or two of sleep. So yeah, that, and, and there I are the days where you go, where you're just like, all right, I'm not getting out of bed for you know. There are those times, but I, it's also that it's like nobody else is up. Yeah, I know. So it's like your phone isn't doing anything. There's nobody talking to you know. Like I don't know. There's something nice about that. Yeah. Yes. I remember in college pulling all nighters and feeling like I feel like I'm the only human awake on the whole earth in the whole earth. Yeah. And but then it was like I feel felt sorry for myself for a Lauren feeling. But in the morning, it's like I'm so ahead of the game. Yeah, and then you crash, the beautiful yeah. crash. Well, when I first started waking, so I'm I've always been a, not always, but <clears throat> for many years was a night person. And then at a certain point after having kids, I'm like, 
I just the only way this whole system is going to work is if I get up early, right? Because otherwise, I'm just going to be resenting them, and I'll be tired. And I need to just like go to bed at ten, get up really early. Um, so I would do it, and I felt that like I'm on top of the world, I'm getting so much done. But then around like twelve thirty, I'd be like, I think I'm done for the day. I'm seeing things. Again. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. this is not. Uh, I my productivity window has closed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there is there there. Well, that's part of the thing about work. Like, if you work, like you have no choice. Mm-hmm. So if you're, I'm like at my job until like eight. Like, there's no, I'm there's nobody. Do you start like, early. Yeah, we start pretty early. So you, so you have just long days. Yeah, right now, long days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which happens. I mean, like I only have a couple weeks left, so it's crunch time. So you stay a little later. Right. But um, but I mean, there's no other option. You know, I actually it has made me so good at napping. I'll take nap lunch naps. Which you couldn't do on your pot of coffee. Tea no, that you started. Then. I couldn't go to bed. Yeah, I know. I I'd be sitting there like feeling like I was communicating with another. You know, I'd just be like, uh huh, solving problems that didn't need to be <laughs> solved, coming up with lists that were inconsequential. Yes, I know that one. Did you drink coffee in the evening? It depended. It would depend what I was doing, but f- for the most part, I would because I would be so tired. Mm. I know. From coffee. I used to not think it affected me at all, but also I had terrible insomnia. Yeah, I totally... Like, I never put it together. That's really what did it for me, was I was just being like, I yeah, I just don't think I'm getting enough mm-hmm. sleep. And the idea of listening to myself when I am tired, like, at lunch, being able to go, like, I'm going to sleep for 20 minutes, whether come hell or high water, you know, just because I'm tired. My body feels tired. And how much a 20-minute nap, I know it sounds stupid, but it does charge you up, yeah. like, to make you be like, I actually feel pretty good. Right. Yeah. You so into wellness? And no, no, I'm a degenerate. No. I don't think you are. No, I like a drink. I I don't like, mind a toke. I uh... you could I could have thought you were a degenerate until you said that you gave up smoking and also caffeine, and I was like, yeah. that's you are in it, so you can't see it, but that's very LA. And yeah, I, no, in a, not in a bad no, way. No, no, I totally. Do you meditate? I take a lot of yoga. Okay. Yeah, so I definitely, and I'm a vegan. So oh, if you, how long have you been a vegan? I've been a vegan for only about a month. I've been a vegetarian for about 10 years. So I just pulled the trigger on going all the way. What made you decide to? I'd wanted to for a while. And I, you know, it, it's, I find it very, I cook most of my food here. So like when I'm in LA. In my studio? In here, yeah. In the, I, the I use smell. a little termite. <laughs> and uh, it really brings up the dish together. Um, but uh, no, so I cook most of my meals here in your home. And, uh, and so it, was, it just didn't seem that hard for me. It is hard on the road when traveling or when in airports. It's much more difficult. So I'm going to try to see how tenuous that actually is. But, um, but yeah, so – but all those things, when I put them on the scale, I'm like, man, th- these are things when I go back to Wisconsin and talk to friends of mine. I, I'm like – I am reading from the book of stereotypes. Like, <laughs> well, then you had to yoga. Don't eat meat. You yeah, know. They're all good things though. But yeah. did you go from vegetarian to vegan? Is it an environmental thing or is it an animal thing? It all sort of started as an animal thing for me, um, which is why I – felt comfortable eating eggs and you know um and then it is i mean i am at the point where my awareness of the environment Mm -hmm. is just extremely high and um i don't think that necessarily personal i I don't think that personal choice is what is going to get us out of the climate crisis but i don't think that it hurts to be aware of that Mm -hmm. you know and i and the truth is i think if everybody just paid attention to little pockets of things that you can actively do in your life if we all did them it would make a huge difference I mean, mm-hmm. people would have to listen right but um but no i mean they're you know i do it 
twofold. I feel very bad for animals. The treatment of animals um, when it comes to sourcing especially the yeah, and like the egg production and dairy production is abysmal. But please don't. No one tell me more about it because it'll make me too sad. Yeah, which is where I yes yeah I've been there. Um. Okay, Gareth Reynolds. Yes. Would you like to do a segment where I ask you nosy questions and it's called How Dare You? And you can say How Dare You? Or would you like to do something from this book that a listener recommended because I love quizzes and tests and whatnot called Cocology, The Game of Self-Discovery. Uh, Cocology is a series of psychological games designed to reveal your hidden attitudes about sex, family, love, work, and more. Some of them are good. Some of them are um, are real zeros. Huh. Which do you feel like? That's interesting. Nosy Those questions are- or self-discovery? Let's let's try the self-discovery. Right. I mean, I feel like we talked about me a good amount. Let's yeah. see what's let's see what this is like. Okay. Let me let me find one. Now you you're going to ask me questions from this that i'll just give my answer to and then you'll find character traits within that that's the idea it tells us how to interpret the answers okay. so give me a moment okay yeah no um, problem all right okay this one is called you're only human oh boy that's tough it's like to a little story I can't believe it. How could I do something so stupid? We have all too many chances to say those words. Burned toast. Don't you hate burned toast? I do. I don't even own a toaster, but that's how much I hate it. <laughs> yeah, you fear that on that level. <laughs> Coffee stains on paperwork, sleeping through the alarm clock, stubbed toes, missed exits. It's human nature to goof up once in a while. Nobody's perfect, and each of us proves that every day. Keep that in mind the next time you're tempted to laugh at other people's careless mistakes. After all, you never know when it'll be your turn to wear mismatched socks to work. By the way, this is all translated. <laughs> You're walking down the street thinking of other things when you stumble into a garbage can on the sidewalk and knock it over. What comes spilling out from under the lid, Gareth? One. So here's the options of what comes spilling out. Okay. Think about it. Just imagine it first. You're okay. just, you just walked into a trash can. It's almost like you wore mismatched socks. Yeah, okay. imagine. Yeah. What comes spilling out from under the lid? One. I feel like it should be A, but it's one. One, nothing comes out. The can was empty. Two, a pile of loose trash spills out onto the street. Three, apple cores, chicken bones, and other raw garbage. Four, a well-tied black plastic garbage bag. Well, first of all, the, I don't know who would think of one. That blows my mind that somebody would be like, it's empty. Yeah. That person must just be very positive. Right. Mine would be two. It would just be loose trash. That's mine, too. Yeah. Okay. Now, key to your only human. In your carelessness, you over... Yeah, we get it. Yeah, I'm a, I get it. Yeah, Things are not good. We toast. We, <laughs> Lord. Man, in your carelessness, you overturned a garbage Show no can, one the ankles. Dumping out something that had been neatly shut away and exposing it for all the world to see. Your image of the can's contents reveals things inside you that you try to hide from public view. Okay, now instead of reading what each one means, but I can go back if you're curious. Mm -hmm. Number two, a pile of loose trash spills out onto the street. Those of you who said the can was full of loose trash may seem to be straightforward and forthright to others, but actually have a pile of unexpressed feelings locked up within. You may notice these feelings only as a general sense of frustration, but when you think about it, aren't there places where you've been holding back from saying the things you really feel? Well, yes. Does that feel like you? 
Cacology. I mean, I would that not be most people? Uh, well, that's yeah. You wonder. Let's see what apple cores, chicken bones, and yeah, that one's okay. crazy. People who imagined a pile of kitchen waste are suppressing their appetites and the natural desire for food. Really? See, that's what I'm saying. Some of these that are real zeros. Maybe you're on or or are just avoiding a diet. Okay, it goes on, but I now I'm angry. Maybe we should do <laughs> we should do one more. Okay. Um, Interesting though. Yeah, I can't imagine in that scenario being like the trash is empty. Right, I know. What city do you hypothetically have in your head where the trash is empty? What would be the most? What city would? Because I was going to say Seattle, but like no, Seattle has trash. What city would be most likely to not have trash? Oof, I mean you're like somewhere we, in Singapore, or I mean we like Dubuque or something. You know what I mean? Like yeah, or yes, yeah, probably like Singapore. I mean, man, when I was just in Scandinavia, they keep their place pretty clean. Oh, really? Yeah. I bet. That makes sense, yeah. So that would not surprise me. Okay, this one's called In the Bag. Okay. All of us lose things. <sighs> I'm rolling my eyes so My hard. socks, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> Your toast. Yeah, that's You toast. burned it, you lost it. Sometimes we don't even realize they're lost. Think about the last time you lost something. That sense of frustration as you retraced your steps, scanning the ground, looking under furniture, and sifting through the trash. Remember the feeling of desperation as you checked your pockets for the fifth time just to make sure you didn't miss it? Lost objects have a way of staying lost, only to turn up months after you've given up looking and forgotten all about them. Finding things lost by other people works the same way. You don't find dropped wallets in the street. or They really could tighten this up. I mean, I, mean, I guess I could too. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> But the rule is you have to read it entirely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, You don't find dropped wallets in the street or lost purses on the train by consciously going out to look for them. If you find one, it's usually just by stumbling across it while you're doing something else. You're walking down the street when you come across a closed black briefcase. There's no one else around. And when you open it to check for the owner's name, out spills a bundle of cash. What is your first reaction to this sudden windfall? One or A. Okay, you ready? Mm-hmm. You imagine this? Yeah, you're oh yeah, down I'm the street, deep in it. Black briefcase. Yep. You open it to check for someone's name. Bundle of cash comes out. Okay. One. Hey, this must be my lucky day. Two. Oh no, what am I going to do now? Three. I'd better take a night to think this over. Four. God must have wanted me to have this. Wait, what? Will you read me the second one again? Yeah. Oh no, what am I going to do now? That's what my reaction would That's be. mine too. Yeah. Okay. I This sleep with it for a night is... The, yeah. yeah. I better take a night to think this over. I'll maybe put go. it in my account for By the way, the way that I interpreted that is like, I'm going to put the money in the bed and roll around in it for a night. <laughs> right. Now, why would your answer be, oh no, what am I going to do now? As opposed to the others. Well, I mean, I do think... Well, first of all, because of the conundrum you're, the, that they're sort of exploring where you are like, well, what? I mean, this is a lot of money. Mm. But I do think my instinct would be that this is not – I mean, I, I and I do – I'm like I said, I'm a terrible person. I think my first instinct would be to be like, this is not my money. This yeah. Should, this is, that's how I am. And I'm not trying to say I'm the best person in the world. Yeah. I think if, you you could, in, if you infer that, that's up to you. That's on you. That's right. Right. But when I find money in the street, I'm never comfortable taking it because like I know it's not mine. Yeah. And I've seen people be like, ooh, and they snatch it. And I know – and I actually I walked, I walked past the huge sum of $40 once. But it's like I'm sure the next person grabbed it. But – 
what if someone's about to come back because they dropped it? I know? think about that person. That's yeah. where my thoughts go to is the person who lost it. If it was like, if I could see that it was a banker, then I'd be like, I will take all this money. <laughs> right. But I do think in my head, I'm like, there's my, if this is costing some, because I've been like, I've lost money or been robbed mm. and like you are, it's very tough. Right. Have you been robbed? <laughs> yeah. What happened? I've never been uh, robbed. Like nobody's ever, right. yeah, I've never been pickpocketed, but no, I've had, um, I've had my backpack stolen a number of times. I had uh, one time I was at the gym and uh, I had I was valley parking cars in Boston. And I think I just, I, I'm, this sounds so stupid, but my plan was like, I'm going to go to the gym and then I'm going to go deposit all my money from like the last two weeks, like two paychecks. Like uh, I used to do like radio commercials. I had a paycheck from that and then all my tip money in my bag in a locker. And then I did my work and I came back up and it was all gone. So the locker did not was not locked. The locker was not locked. Do you have a sense of who it was? Well, I was went it crazy. I went crazy. No, it was someone who just went there for a free pass because I eventually got the tape, and then they actually. Oh wait, sorry, so confused. It was in the it, you worked out of the gym, and it was in the gym locker. Yeah. I feel like that's you should be able to think that it's safe there. One would hope. Yeah. Uh, it, I learned a very valuable lesson for, uh, the one time. and um, But then they, the guy was trying to cash it at a check cashing place using my license. So I eventually just ended up having like video, two videos of this guy right. that I took to the police. And they were just like, yeah, this is not where our resources are going to go. <laughs> How frustrating. Yeah, it was. But, uh, you know. How long did you try to find him on your own vigilante style? Oh, I'm like crazy. So I was like he I was like the so dark knight. You got the um security got two footage from the gym. Is that from what? the gym and then was able to get it from a check cashing place as well. But this is someone who used that gym? Yeah. Yes. And they couldn't tell you who it was? No, because they would you could do free free um maybe like a free week or something like that. But and you so, know he had to give them his email. Yeah, <laughs> yes. It was, I mean, yes. It right. was, I, the, what I found was that most people were not nearly as invested as I was. Like, yeah. And so I was like, I will find this, but I will not rest until, and then eventually I was like, well, I, I guess I got to rest. Yeah. That's, how much do you take from you? I think in total, I mean, I was, this is like, you know, I was very young. So it was probably like 13. 1100 bucks or something like that. That's a lot of money. With checks that I got re a couple of checks that okay, I got good. reissued, but then like 600 600 something in cash. Yeah. Was he able to, to cash it with your license? No, they denied him cashing the check. Did he not look like you? He did not look any like that's what alerted them. They were like this right. is crazy. I mean, he didn't have the grandma wig, not no. <laughs> no, he it was a different license, but he definitely was like did not look like me and that was they were like, "Okay." Well, I hope he stubs his toe and burns yeah. his toast. Okay, to go back to this. Key to in the bag. Your reaction on finding the bag of money reveals how you would react if an attractive person suddenly asked you out on a date that hmm. you didn't see that coming. No. So, two, oh no, what am I going to do now? It's normal to feel a little uncertain at times like these, but in the end, the decision is all up to you. Take your time and think it over, but don't spend too long wringing your hands or someone else might just come along and... <laughs> That's your good fortune out from under your nose. Do you relate? Does that sound right? Do you relate to that? No, yeah. that does not sound like me. I, uh, yeah. I think I, I would, I definitely would handle it. I would handle it fine. Right. What if it was someone that you didn't like asking you out? Because I have, I can relate to that. Yeah. In the sense of like someone who I know I'm not interested in asking me out, then I definitely that, would have a, oh no, what am I going to do now? That, that I, that, 
the, I'll snap. That to indicate that it resonated. That's yeah. a resonator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that is what I would feel with that. I think in general. But I if think it's, everyone would. Yes. I think in general when yeah. someone opens themselves up to you and you don't reciprocate, you are like, Ugh. Yeah. 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 But then there's probably people who are totally fine with that. Yeah, but I they have chicken bones and banana peels in their trash. Right. They're hungry and they're so They're hungry, yeah, exactly. So yeah. Um, once again, jury's still out on this book. If you're, if the person who recommended it is listening, I appreciate the recommendation, though. But I've yet to really unlock my true self. Maybe it's the well, Enneagram. Well, you're finding it. You're finding it. You've done the Enneagram? No. Do you know about it? No. People are – it's E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M. People are super into it. Um, and it's like there's nine different types. It's like a personality quiz thing. Okay. But I feel like there's a spiritual co- – not religious, but spiritual component in some way. Or I don't know why I think that, though. But, um, yeah, there's like a lot of people who are very, very into it. I don't even know my type, though. I've taken a few different quizzes, and it comes up different each time. Yeah. Gareth Reynolds, it has been delightful to have you on. Allison, thank you for being my new best friend. This is the part where um, we plug our things. Uh, not, not me. I'll go first. Okay. You guys – what are you doing January 26th? Well, I'll tell you what you're doing. You're coming to see Allison Rosen as your new best friend live in San Francisco at San Francisco Sketch Fest. Um, special guests to be announced very soon, possibly by the time you hear this, possibly not. But the musical guest is the Angoras, which is my old band from a thousand years ago. We're reuniting for the first time ever. We're going to play some songs. It's going to be a really good time. Go to sfsketchfest.com to get your tickets. While you're there... The day before, come see Childish, my podcast with Greg Fitzsimmons. We're doing Childish Live with Jessica Curson. It's going to be so much fun. I'm also doing other stuff. Make a whole weekend of it. Please come. Um, I'll be sad if you don't. And also I'm on Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. All sorts of fun stuff there. And I'm on Cameo. And just and also I have a book out. Go to AllisonRosen.com for everything else. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Allison Rosen. Uh-oh, you're up. Uh, you can get my first album, uh, Riddled with Disease, through my website, which is GarethReynolds.com. Also, tour dates there. You can go to DollopPodcast.com because we're always on tour. We're doing a lot of dates in the States uh, this upcoming year. And then uh, you can follow me on social media at Reynolds Gareth. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being on the show, Gareth. Thank you, Allison. Listeners, thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show? We had a good time, but now we gotta go. Yeah, Allison Rosen is your new best friend.